0: Well, good morning, everyone. So, so good to be with all of you this morning uh, as we jump back into the incredible unfolding story that God has revealed to us about His relationship with us as humankind and what the implications of that are. Uh, If I came to a group like this, so you guys, you know, you're going to church, um, so you're you're churchgoers in general, you probably uh, say that you would follow Jesus, and I made this statement God's wisdom is always better than man's wisdom. God's wisdom is always greater than the wisdom of the world, and therefore the better choice. I would say that the majority in this room would agree with that statement, right? That most of you, with a few exceptions, would say that is a correct statement, God's wisdom is always greater than the wisdom of the world, and therefore the better choice. And we'd all go, yep, yep, agreed, agreed. So I'm driving over here this morning from my house, and uh, my car drive with, uh, I think I had six or seven of my eight children, I forget, uh, and we're, we're driving over here, um, and my, my boys have now gotten into the habit where when they put their shoes on, they don't undo the shoelaces. Have you seen this uh, phenomenon? It's awesome, right? They just stuff their foot in. So you see the back of the shoe crunch down as they push their foot in with a, gr- a brute force. And, and what are you calculating? You are calculating the diminished returns of that shoe over a period of time multiplied by 8 times 2 equaling school. So you go, that's like $700 coming a month early in the budget. So you go, no, 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 no. You undo the shoelaces. Why? Because it's better for the shoe. Right? So uh, today I'm in the car, and my eight-year-old, he's standing as we're backing out the driveway, a big no-no. Don't stand in the car when it's moving. And he grabs the seat, and he goes, I'm just put my shoe on. Can you wait a second? And I see him stuff his shoe, and he's like, Urgh. And I turn around, and I say, Cole. I want you to undo the shoelaces. We've had this conversation. It's going to damage the shoe. And here's what he does. He goes, but it's much easier this way. There it is. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, I apologize for me thinking that this would be a better way. It's much easier this way. Okay, well, then all of the wisdom I just brought to the table is a moot point, isn't it? Because it's much easier that way. Here's what I find, that as we turn into adults, nothing changes. Honestly, nothing changes much. I spend much of my life with the grand privilege of interacting with multiple adults, you and, and me and us together, uh, working through life circumstances, Right? And here's the thing, that we come to the table with a premise that says God's wisdom is greater than the wisdom of the world, and therefore always the better choice, that is only as good as the choice in front of us. Once the choice in front of us is dealing in relationships, for example, or in resources we might have, or the way we handle circumstances, suddenly the wisdom of God doesn't make nearly as much sense to us, right? So I often begin at a Table when someone's sitting with me, uh, as I'm wanting to work through some reality, some circumstance, some relational dynamic, some resource reality with them, uh, that I've, I've, I feel like I always have to begin with the gospel, right? Can we just be, can we just go before we get into the stuff so that we don't spend an hour arguing with each other? Let's talk about the gospel. Let's talk about what it's done, what it's told us, what it's revealed to us, why it's true, that our soul is rescued, right? Let's talk about that for a minute. What does that mean for our security and, and, and for our, our future? And and that's gonna measure the way we make decisions. And then our future is redeemed. Wow, that's a big deal. That shapes the way we do life because we know our End is hopeful. And then here's the big one our purpose restored. What is our purpose? Because if we get a purpose right, we'll make decisions differently. I feel like I have to do that. Why? Because if I don't, the second we sit down, what comes to the table is some relational dynamic. I got in this relationship with this perfect human being. Never dreamed it to be someone that perfect. They don't know Jesus, but they're perfect. They go, well, they don't know Jesus. That, that, that could be problematic. There's this whole thing in the Bible about unequally yoked and where this goes. But they'll come to know him, I swear it. <laughs> Only God knows stuff like that. Don't say that, right? Or they were the perfect person. They really were. But 26 years in, they're not anymore. Oh, gosh. I see now. This is what happens. Oh, no, I understand that debt is a bad thing. I, I get it. But I, the, my kids have got to play soccer. I'm not pulling them from the team. They des- you know, it doesn't matter how we end up at the table. What begins to happen is whether it's resources or relationships or circumstances, we human beings come to the table, and we come to the table like my son. But it's easier this way. Please tell me it's okay. Please tell me I don't have to undo the shoelaces. <laughs> then we go, yeah, but, but, but God is clear. Why do we do this? Well, I'll tell you, we, we do it for simple reasons. N- number one, the reality is we all, we all come to the table having been born and bred with a certain cultural wisdom in us, right? So we come to the table with a culture's wisdom. We always do. You do. I do. We make assumptions based on a culture in which we've lived, and whatever the cultural context is, it is still born out of the world. So we come to the table with a certain amount of worldly wisdom that has felt like good wisdom for a long time. And it, and it, it requires us weeding through that. And so we come to the table with it. Yeah, but what about this? And but what about that? And what about the fact that it is easier? And what about the fact that, look, the shoe looks fine. Stuck my foot in it. Still looks good. I'm like, yeah, it's not going to break now. We also come to the table, wait for it now, with selfish desires. No, I don't. Yes, you do. So do I. I come to every table with selfish desires, folks. Every table I come to of decision in my life, I am wrestling with selfish desires. I am wrestling with me and what I want and what I deserve and what I think is best and what I think is right. What I want for my children, what I want for my family, what I want for myself, what I, what I want, what I want. And I come to the table all the time with that. It's always on the table. And then, beautifully enough, I come to the table with this premise. Oh, I want to do what is wise and right. Don't you? Of course you do, but not at the cost of comfortable and convenient, right? You're like, what? Let me say that again. You want to do what's wise and right. I get it. Me too. I do too, as long as it doesn't cost me comfortable and convenient. If Can I just do what's wise and right and still be comfortable and convenient? Then I'm in. Oh, I, oh I'm in. But if it's going to cost me something, then I'm not. Why? Because it starts from the beginning again. Our cultural context has bred into us and our selfish desires have confirmed for us this fact. That life is about your comfort and convenience. It is. That's what you're pursuing, isn't it? The pursuit of happiness. That's it. And so we have been bred to believe that comfortable and convenient is what makes everything good in the world. That is the essence of the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom will always, always try to determine what is going to be most comfortable and convenient for you. Now, the problem is the other human being in the equation, the world's telling them the same thing. And you're nothing to them, right? So the problem is we face each other and, and the world's telling me, whatever's best for you, do that. It doesn't, doesn't matter for them. And then it's telling them, do what's best for you. And the world sits back as we war with one another. Because we're all trying to do what's best. Now, yeah, you go, it doesn't really work that way. Watch. Oh, it does. From parenting to marriage to friendships to country against country. doesn't matter. Context, small, big. This is what we come to the table with. The goal of the gospel, while the goal of culture is your comfort and convenience, self-driven, the goal of the gospel's wisdom is what? Redemption for all and the glory of God, right? expansion of God's kingdom, the redemption for all, and the glory of God. And the wisdom of the gospel says, since God has already taken care of all that you will ever need, you no longer have to be in the equation the same way you used to, right? Because he's got a story. He's writing for you. He's authoring for you. And so God's wisdom now comes into play and says, every decision you make is going to be, with your restored purpose, your rescued soul, your redeemed future, a beautiful calling into being redemptive for the world and to be a person that brings glory to God in every decision, every relational decision, every circumstantial decision, every resource decision. And that's what we face. It is the very essence of the difference between the people that follow Jesus, the church, and the rest of planet earth. Right? The world. The very difference is the goal to which we are living. I live for the glory of God and the redemption of the world. The world lives for the self-preservation of self and the comfort and convenience of self. And that changes every decision, doesn't it? So Paul has been traveling on his uh, great church planting movement, right? Uh, this is the, the, the second great movement of church planting, the second missionary journey. Uh, He uh, Sorry, he's on his third one now. I can't even keep track. When he traveled on his second one, where did he go? He went through Macedonia. When he got to the bottom of Macedonia, before he crossed back over into Ephesus, he hung out in a city called Corinth. Corinth was, at that time, the Vegas of our day. For many reasons. If you want to know the reasons, go podcast the introduction to 1 Corinthians done a few weeks ago by Brady. He'll tell you the whole story of why Corinthians. I mean Corinth was this city. It was a transient city, a lot of movement, massive growth, uh, exciting city. But it was the city that what you did in Corinth was okay. And so of all the places where you might not imagine a great move of the gospel would occur, certainly there was one of the places. Strategically, you wouldn't think Paul would go there, but he does. He doesn't only go there. He stays there for almost 18 months, and he births a church, and he disciples a church, and he grows a church, and then he leaves. On his third missionary journey, he gets to Ephesus, and he writes a letter back to the church in Corinth. So we're in the book of Acts, but remember we're stepping out of the book of Acts now, not really out of it, we're sort of under it, and we're stepping into a letter that was written during the story of the book of Acts. And this letter is written to the church in Corinth, and Paul is writing this letter to instruct the church, wait for it, on what it means to be the church, right? Because they're kind of a little confused. They're doing a lot of stuff like everybody else, and he's going, whoa, 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 the Of the difference between us, the church, and the rest of the planet is why we do what we do and how we do what we do because we have a different goal. Because we understand things they don't understand, right? So he's writing to them and he's saying to them, let me instruct you on what your life should look like as a church based on what we now know is true of the gospel. Trouble is most of what they're doing is wrong currently, right? So when you come to a table... Persons across the table from you, you know that the decisions they're making across the board are not good, and you know you're going to have to confront them, right? Where do you begin with that? Where do you start? I'm about to have to tell you a bunch of hard stuff that's going to hopefully recalibrate you so that you're living in a manner that reflects the gospel, that reflects your redemption, that reflects the glory of God. I'm going to have to tell you a bunch of hard things. Let's start here. Okay, let's start here at the table. God's wisdom better, your wisdom better. Let's, let's talk about that. Because if we don't talk about that, we're going to spend the entire time at the table arguing this way. But it's easier. We're to, I, I, I know that, but it's still dumb. Right? No, it's not. I prayed about it. I have a piece. Fantastic. I'm so excited for you. Have you read this? Right? So that's what it's going to be like if we don't deal with the wisdom of God first. So we sit down. And we watch Paul write this letter, and in the very, very early part of the letter, what does Paul do? He starts with this premise. Let's talk about wisdom. Before we even get into it, let's talk about wisdom. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to the book of First Corinthians the first letter he writes to the church in Corinth. And we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, because we're in the very beginning of the book, uh, of the letter he's writing. He's setting the foundation for everything else that he will now get to in this letter about how we ought to live, what our lives ought to look like in our circumstances, relational dynamics, resource realities in the way that we live life. And he begins uh, in the introduction, talking a little bit about a few things. And then in chapter 1, verse 18, he makes this statement. This is on page 618 if you're using one of our Bibles. Page 618, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. If you brought your own Bible or using a smart device. Here we go. For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. There's the statement. So he begins right out the gates in this paragraph saying this. We're going to talk a little bit about wisdom. Uh, Allow me to remind you that the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the cross, which is the gospel, right? So what, what wisdom is he talking about here? The wisdom of the gospel. Because he said the wisdom of what? For the word of the cross. That's the gospel. The redemptive message of God. What it will call you into will seem foolishness to anyone who doesn't know the gospel. You with me? I mean, think about it. If the entire goal of the world's wisdom is your comfort and convenience, every time the gospel calls you out of your comfort and convenience for the sake of redemption, will that make any sense to someone who doesn't know the gospel? No, it, it, it can't. It shouldn't. Will they nod and say, oh, you're just wonderful. <laughs> will they go, oh, just your courage, just, oh, it's beautiful. But what will they be doing at the next meeting when you're not there? They're out of their mind. They're out of their mind. Who does that? And when they catch you in secret and they see you burdened by the weight of redemption you carry, what will they secretly say to you? Bail. Bail out. I can tell it's too heavy for you. Get out. Bail from that relationship. Bail from that decision. Bail from the mission field. Bail from from taking on those kids. Bail from it because look, it's wrecking your life. Because the reality is that the call of the gospel will always seem foolish to a world that is bent on its own comfort and convenience. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who have been saved are being saved It is what? It is the new power of God. Not just in our rescue, but in the decision making of everything we do. Look at what he writes. He writes this. Verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demanded signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Look what he's saying. saying, folks, listen, when you come with the message of the gospel to the world, here's what happens. There's a group of people, usually the religious, and what are they looking for? They are looking for more signs and evidence to ultimately prove that what they believe is right, right? Remember the Jews, when Jesus came, he came, he taught with authority beyond anyone's imagination. He performed signs and wonders. He did extraordinary things. Oh, yes, and he died and rose from the dead, right? And what did the Jews, the Jewish leadership always say to Jesus every time? He'd do some extraordinary thing and they go, show us a sign. Prove to us that you're the Messiah. And you almost stand and shake your head and you're like, are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? And here's what you started realizing. It's actually in several stories in the Bible as parables, right? When you want what you want, no sign will change your heart, right? When you want what you want, no signs. Will... You walk around all day, I'm waiting for a sign. If God wants me to do that, I'm waiting for a sign. I'm like, read it, read it. Sign's right there, right? But all, that's, that's just how we function, right? There's a bunch of people waiting for a sign from God that will say they should or shouldn't do it. And he goes, no, 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 the Jews wanted that. And what did the Greeks want? Oh, we're we're thinkers. We got it covered, man. There is a group of people on this planet that want signs, and there's a group of people on this planet that think they are their own sign, right? (laughs) I am as smart as it gets. I've read all the books. I know what I'm doing. I'm good. Let it be. So he said, yep, the Jews wanted signs. The Greeks, they had their own wisdom. So when I preached... The crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the work of Christ, it was an offense to the Jews, and it was foolishness to the Greeks, right? The wisdom of God is different than the wisdom of man. It is always different, and it is always opposite. Why? Because even when it aligns, oh, look, handle your finances this way, the world says. Oh, look, handle your finances this way, God says. It looks the same. Look, the wisdom of the world is the same, except the goal is different, right? Handle it this way so you have more and you're safer and more comfortable and convenient. Do it this way so that you can be more generous than ever. See, it's completely different. So it doesn't even matter when it looks the same. It's still different because the goal is different. Now look what he says next. He moves on here and he says this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the world's standards, Not many of you powerful, not many of you were noble of birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. What on earth is he talking about? He says, look, there are two kinds of wisdom in the world. There's the wisdom of the gospel and the wisdom of the world, one for redemption, one for self-convenience, right? Right? when the wisdom of the gospel moves into the world, it does what is extraordinary. And he's using the church of Corinth as an example. Look at you guys. You're the Vegas of our day. You guys run around like crazy. He's doing whatever you want of all the people on the planet that God shouldn't have saved. And frankly, that the world might've even said, cannot save. It would have been you. And what did God do? What did God do? He sent me to you I preached nothing but foolishness to you, right? Isn't that what he just said? I preached what offended the Jews and was foolishness to the Greeks. And what happened? Oh, a bunch of you came to Jesus. <laughs> Who knew? And then your lives were redeemed, and what was weak was made strong, and what was foolish was made wise, and what was, what, what, what was to be kicked out onto the curb was brought into the house. What was not became true. So you are the very essence of an example of what God's wisdom does when we live by it. It redeems the dead. It brings death to life. It brings light to darkness. It brings freedom to the bound. And he's going, so when, when we're thinking about God's wisdom, this isn't just about, what's the better choice? Should I go God's way? Because then what? It will, it will make a better life for me. No, when we live God's wisdom, we move as the church. And when we move as the church, as ambassadors of redemption, we get to watch the world redeemed even in the darkest parts. So Paul's saying, man, isn't that awesome? This is a great example of what the wisdom of God does when we live by it. What we sh- thought shouldn't have happened, happened. Because so often in our wisdom, what do we do? Oh, if I do it God's way, it's going to do this and do that and it won't work. It's like, no, 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 no. Trust God's wisdom. Look what he says next. He jumps into chapter 2, verse 1, and he says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers... Did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with speech, with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided it was a choice to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of God and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What did Paul do? He said this, when I came with God's wisdom, with the gospel, I brought you nothing but the simplicity of God's wisdom. And what was the simplicity of God's wisdom? The simplicity of God's wisdom was the gospel, right? Folks, hear me when I say this to you. Sometimes I think the reason we do not look at God's wisdom as a reality in our daily lives is because it seems too complicated. Here it is. How would I possibly ever know all of this? And every little, don't go this way, don't go that way. And then we are reminded in this by Paul, no, 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 hold. Yes, there's lots in here that will be wonderful to learn, uh, to, to, to add to the beauty and the, and the expansion of the basic wisdom of God. But here's the basic wisdom of God. In every decision that you face, Preach Christ only to yourself. Start there. What has happened to me? I've been rescued by Jesus. Okay, that's good. That's good. What do I have to worry about? Nothing. What about my future? Go past retirement. You die. Oh, yeah. What then? All I have on this planet is left behind, and I have everything. Yes. My future is redeemed. It is. What do you have to worry about? Okay, okay, hold. Purpose. What does the gospel say about purpose? I once was created to image the God of the universe and to make him known and to live my life and the freedoms that he gave me. And I lost all of that in the Garden of Eden when I did it for myself and I went with the world's wisdom and he gave it back to me when he rescued me. So my entire purpose in every relationship, every resource, every circumstance is to do what? To be redemptive and to glorify God in the way that I live. Oh yeah, that's right. There it is. Wisdom of God finished. Check. Check. That's what Paul said. All I preached to you was was Christ. And Christ was enough. Because it's where we start, isn't it? Once we're there, once we sit at the table of decision and we go, I want to be redemptive. I want to trust God. I want to do this in a manner worthy of the gospel to which I've been saved so that the gospel's power would be made known. Then everything else will come. You'll seek wise counsel and you'll actually listen to it. You'll read and you'll actually seek because you will want to step into the gospel, and Paul says, the wisdom of God is not complicated, I came to you not in lofty speeches and apologetics, I didn't come to you in wondrous, articulate form, I just came to you and said, here's Jesus, here's what he did, here's why it matters to you, here's what that should mean to you, come and know him, and when you do, you will have the spirit of God, you will have power, and you'll be able to live your lives in a manner worthy of God, wow, and many came to know Jesus." God's wisdom is simple. It's hard because it calls you out of convenience and comfort, often into redemptive living. Not always. Sometimes redemptive living is very comfortable and convenient, honestly. But sometimes it calls you out. It's hard, but it is simple. And here, the best part of this passage, in my opinion, that should encourage you and I beyond words. Here it goes. Listen to this. Look what he says. Verse. Go. Uh, chapter two. Uh, go to verse um, eight. <clears throat> None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of men imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. So what's he saying there in simplicity? The best of the best in this world didn't get it. The best of the best in this world couldn't understand it. Despite the simplicity of the message of the gospel, they couldn't get it. They crucified Christ. They wouldn't have done that if they got it. Bring the greatest thinkers. Bring the greatest philosophers. Bring the greatest scientists. Bring the greatest rulers. Bring the greatest kings. Bring the greatest minds together. And no mind can conceive of the things of God. You cannot know the wisdom of God. That's what he's saying. You cannot know the wisdom of God. Pretty sad, isn't it? Writes this entire passage about how important the wisdom of God is. And then he comes to us and goes, you can't know it. You can't know it. What? Now you could try, but it'll never work because your mind's too little and you're just going to be back at the table going, I want what I want. Well, well, then what does that mean? Wait, Renaud, you can't do that to us. Wait, I'm not done. I'm not done. There's more. Look. Look at this. Verse 12. Buckle your seatbelts. This is beautiful. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Isn't that amazing? Can I read that again? Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And look at the very last uh, par- uh, verse of chapter 2, the very last verse, verse 16. Here's what it says. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? It's basically saying nobody can understand God, but we have the mind of Of Christ. Do you have any idea what we were just told? You and I who know and follow Jesus, this is what Paul just told us. The wisdom of God is extraordinary, leads to redemption, changes the world, and brings freedom to all. The the wisdom of the world is is for your self-preservation, but ends up killing you. You could never understand the wisdom of God if you tried, but God has rescued your soul, empowered you by the Spirit of God, and given you the mind of Christ so that when you seek, you can now understand. You know the gospel. You can live by it. And so we stand at this extraordinary place where we look and we go, hold on. You mean I've been given the mind to be able to understand the wisdom of God in its simplicity and study it in its complexity so that I might live out the wisdom of God in freedom, bringing freedom to others. Yep, that's what he's saying. My kids are awesome. I love my kids. They go to school now, right? They're in different schools. And they, they are lazy, many of them. <clears throat> Don't worry, I was lazy too. So were you. Some of you think I wasn't lazy. You were a little bit. A little bit. So here's the deal. My kids go to school and they come back, and you know the typical deal, it's 9:20 at night, just about bedtime, and then they go, Oh, I got a lot of homework to finish. And I go, it's funny how you played you played soccer and swam in the pool for four and a half hours today. Now it's homework time. Because you know it's last minute. So I sit my kids down often, is what I tell them. I say, guys, listen, when you go to school and you don't do great at school, if you had a brain that didn't work, I would go. It's okay. Your brain doesn't work, but you tried your best. And that's okay, right? I wouldn't say it quite that way. But I, but I, would, I would feel, listen, I get it. This is your capacity, and you are living up to capacity. Your capacity is just low. And, and I think that's perfectly fine. Because capacity is good, and you're living up to it. But I look at my kids, and I say, but the problem is your brains all work fine. Your brain's are sharp as a whip. I know because you argue with me like an attorney every day. <laughs> I mean, it's better than an attorney. I've thought about calling some offices in Orlando. You, you want someone interning? I have, I have eight. <laughs> and my eight-year-old is the top of the eight. So you guys are sharp as a whip. The problem is that you don't want to use that brain of yours. Because you want what you want. Because you want what you want. And isn't that, in essence, what Paul is saying to us? You have been given the Spirit of God to understand spiritual things. You have been given the mind of Christ to see the wisdom of God. Well, then for goodness sake, use it. For goodness sake, use it. Actually dig in. Because here's what Paul's saying. Your purpose is no longer to create comfort and convenience for yourself. Your purpose is to be an ambassador of redemption. That's what you get to do the rest of your life. You get to actually live to redeem on behalf of Christ through the power of the Spirit for the sake of the freedom of the world. You're a rescuer. How could we waste our time trying to step in to our little worlds to build them up? And then he says, and what is your guide to this extraordinary new life, church? What is your guide? It is not the cultural wisdom. The cultural wisdom is not your guide, the gospel wisdom is, because the gospel wisdom calls you always into redemption, and the cultural wisdom calls you always into self. So since you have the mind of Christ, and you are full of the Spirit, for goodness sake, use it. And at the end of this neat little introduction paragraph to the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul will now gather around the table for the rest of our journey through Corinthians and say, now let's talk life. Now let's talk real life, real circumstances, real stuff you're doing, real things you're not doing right. You see what he's done beautifully? Okay, we all agree now, right? It'd be kind of silly to have the mind of Christ be full of the Spirit of God and still act like the rest of the world, wouldn't it? So let's talk about how we're acting, and let's figure out where the wisdom of the gospel is going to recalibrate us, and where we are doing wisdom of world stuff, and let's quit it. And it's going to be a beautiful journey for us as a church, isn't it? Because as we travel through the book of 1 Corinthians, we are going to wrestle with the same issues they did, and we're going to ask the same question. Are we living like the world? And if we are, since we have the mind of Christ, and since we have the Spirit, then let's study and store up the wisdom of God, and let's live out the gospel and be redeemers for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let's do that. We are going to learn as a church to store up treasures in our hearts and minds so that the wisdom of God sits and lingers with us. So that as we go about life, la, 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 circumstance comes. We're right there. Do not be anxious for anything, now, But in all things, with prayer and petition, present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Relationship, relationship. <laughs> Renault, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is for the building up of others according to their needs so that they might know me. <laughs> Thank you, God. I was about to say some very bad things. <laughs> Walking around. Oh, today's been a very hard day at work. My coworkers are evil demons and they're trying to kill me. <laughs> Today was a very hard day at home. My children are evil demons trying to kill me. I get it. Both come together. Neither of those groups are actually evil demons. They just feel that way sometimes, right? And then what comes? What comes? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that it is the testing of your faith that develops perseverance. And perseverance, when it finishes its work in you, will make you mature and complete, not lacking anything. Oh yeah, that's right. When you lack wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, come and ask of God because he gives generously to those who ask. Oh yeah, that's right. See, when we store up, The things of God's Word in us, they come. And the gospel's wisdom is expanded, and we can live freely in the relationships and resources and circumstances in which we find ourselves. This is the call of our lives, the privilege of our lives. And the book of 1 Corinthians is going to be an epic journey for us through an extraordinary run of what it means to be the church, to live by gospel wisdom and not by the wisdom of the world. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your extraordinary love for us. May you stir in us, Spirit of God, a a new desire to study and to store up your Word so that we might be ready to engage in gospel wisdom in every circumstance, in every relational dynamic, in every resource, that we would not be looking to what is easy, to what is comfortable, and to what is convenient as a starting point, but that we would be looking to what is redemptive and what is of the gospel as a starting point. And if it happens to be convenient and comfortable, then we will be grateful, because I know often it is. Often what you call us to is very comfortable and convenient and a lot of fun for us, but often what you call us to is not. So, may we abandon that as a measuring stick for what is good and right, and may we instead measure what is good and right by your wisdom that we know to be greater than our wisdom and always the better choice. Help us to live there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.